open your Bibles to the Gospel of Matthew, and I hope that you will continue to think about that song during the course of the message this morning. I think it'll be easy to make a connection. You know, every every time I stand before the congregation, I always wish, you know, that I had more time to say more things uh, sometimes about different people and things going on and uh, thank Mary for uh, taking the folks to the Legacy 5 uh, Brady Trio concert. Uh, We could celebrate with uh, Richard and Carol and uh, celebrating their 50th wedding anniversary yesterday and uh, we... uh, I would ask you to pray for my wife. She is here, but kind of out on her feet and not feeling well, but but here nevertheless. So I'm saying all this for a reason. Uh, you know, there's always more that could be said, and the same thing's true whenever it comes to to preaching. For the last several weeks, we've been on a journey along the road to Calvary. We started in the upper room. And what, what an awesome thought that is, being there in the upper room with Jesus and thinking about that time of instruction and encouragement that the uh, apostles received from him. But then we went from the upper room across the brook Ketron, dark waters, and we followed him into the garden, and there we listened to him as he prayed we talked about the fact that the band of men came to the garden, of course, and there uh, made their feeble attempt to arrest Jesus. He submitted himself into their hands. He was led away through six mockery of trials, one after the other, and we uh, uh, we followed along and attended all of those trials through the messages and uh, then we stood at the cross. I don't need to tell you that it's just natural that we can't give all of our attention to every detail involved along that journey. And so today I want to back up just a little bit, and there's just one one thing that I want to focus on this morning. And uh, I say that because some way or another... This part of the story always seems to get left out of the picture, and uh, I think that's a mistake. But here in Matthew chapter 27, beginning in verse number 20, here we see the story of Barabbas, uh, or you could say the story of the sinner's substitute, which is Jesus. You can call it the blessed bad man or whatever you want, but this is the story. It says, verse 20, but the chief priests and elders persuaded the multitude that they should ask Barabbas and destroy Jesus. What an interesting statement that is. The chief priests and elders persuaded the people. Verse 21, the governor answered and said unto them, Whether of the twain will ye that I release unto you? And they said, Barabbas. Pilate saith unto them, What shall I do then with Jesus, which is called Christ? And they all say unto him, Let 
him be crucified. And the governor said, Why, what evil hath he done? But they cried out the more, saying, Let him be crucified. When Pilate saw that he could prevail nothing, but that rather a tumult was made, he took water and washed his hands before the multitude, saying, I'm innocent of the blood of this just person. See ye to it. And then answered all of the people and said, His blood be on us and on our children. Then released he Barabbas unto them, and when he had scourged Jesus, he delivered him to be crucified. I don't know if you ever thought about it or not, but God is an amazing teacher. When you stop and think about all of the great doctrines of the Bible, and they're not always as cut and dried and simple as they might seem to some people, and there are great depths that we, you know, we seldom ever go to, and some things hard to be understood, and yet our Lord, being the master teacher that He is, has a way of presenting these truths to us, even so that a child can understand. And one of the methods that God uses is that of illustrations or shadows and types. We find that throughout all of the Old Testament, in fact. Every article of furniture, every piece of the, of the tabernacle, for example, everything there represented something related to the person and work of Jesus Christ. And so God does this. You know, we think about teachers using flannel graph today. Well, listen, God is the original, He is the original uh, alliterative uh, 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 teacher. Uh, I, I think I used the wrong word there, but anyway, He knows how to put it out there where we can understand what He's saying. And so many times we're the ones guilty of muddling things up. If you want to really get confused, just you know, start reading some of the some of the commentaries that man has written. And there's no end to the writing in regards to the truths of the Scripture. And, and you know, we look to those things for clarity, and sometimes we are more confused than ever. Well. I'm saying all of that to say this. Here in this story of Barabbas, we find a good example of what I'm talking about because this is an illustration for us concerning the doctrine of substitution. The fact that Jesus Christ was our substitute, that He took our place on the cross. Think about it. Barabbas is the real criminal, and yet he's acquitted. We find that Jesus is innocent, that He is guiltless, and yet He is condemned and He is sentenced to death. We see here in Barabbas the, the nature of man, the sinful nature of man, and we look into the life of Jesus and examine Him just as Pilate did, and we have to say, I find no fault in this man. And yet with, with the one here we see... In Barabbas, that he is set free, and in Jesus, he is condemned. In this story, there are three scenes, I'll call them, three different pictures that I want you to look at. 
the first one has to do here with the challenge of Pilate. And, and notice his problem is obvious that something has to be done with Jesus. I mean, there's no way out of this. In his position, and because of the nature of the charges against Jesus, you know, they say he says he is a king. In other words, he is set out to overthrow the Roman Empire. And in your position, buddy, you better do something about this. So Pilate is forced into action. That's the problem. And then we see the pressure on him to do something because the Jews were relentless. I mean, they're like a bulldog. They won't let go. They won't give up. And we see his perplexity because, number one, he has examined Jesus. He finds no fault in him whatsoever. And yet we see the Jews insisting that he do something And as we saw the other day, we find, on the other hand, his wife is warning him, you better not. So there's a lot of pressure on him. And then we see his plan. Realizing that according to the tradition of the Jews to release one of the prisoners at this time of the year, and according to that custom, he's thinking to himself, I'll just release one of the others that will satisfy their custom. Everything will be all right, and I'll be off the hook. So that brings us to the second scene in the story, and that's the choosing of Barabbas. Now remember, Pilate is trying, like any good politician, trying to get himself off the hook. He's thinking to himself, if I do this, the debate will end. Peace will be restored. And in spite of his best efforts, the Jews would not be dissuaded, and they are insistent that he do something with Jesus. Now, to really appreciate the story, we need to understand something about this man, Barabbas. His his name literally means son of the father. I don't know what all of that is implying. You know, son of the father. Some some have indicated that his father was a high-ranking religious leader or, you know, whatever it, you know, might have been. I don't know. The Bible doesn't say. And I'm not so concerned about the meaning of his name as I am about the nature and his reputation. And the Bible tells us in no uncertain terms. It says in John chapter 18, tells us he's a robber. And then it tells us in in the book of Mark, in the book of Luke, he is a murderer, a man who committed murder during an insurrection. And so here is a man that is, you know, guilty of insurrection against the Roman government. And by the way, they tended to take that pretty serious. And that's why he's in prison. So here he is in prison under the authority of Rome. But there's another thing that generally gets overlooked, and that's here in verse number 16. Notice the word that he is a notable prisoner. A notable prisoner. Now that word notable can be used in a good sense or in a bad sense, by the way. Because it's speaking about somebody that is famous. It's a word that could be used to describe somebody that would be a hero among certain people. 
it just so happened, this is really strange. I was reading an article from the American Thinker. Now, this is a, this is a political, uh, a political uh, article. It has nothing to do with the Bible whatsoever. But the author of the article, in just trying to make his point regarding politics, said something, and I thought, wow, that's what I'm going to be preaching about. I, I've never seen anything like that before. And, but here's what he said, related as to something that, uh, that might have been said concerning this matter of Barabbas being a hero among the Jews. Quote, You all could have a great life if it weren't for the Romans. They victimized and oppressed you, making it impossible to be happy and productive. Let me come to your aid and get rid of the bad guys who ripped you off and done you wrong. Man, that's straight out of a political stump speech somewhere, right? I mean, that sounds like one of the politicians right now. It sounds like all of them, in, to a matter of, as a matter of fact. They're all of them, you know, simply saying that everybody's mistreated you, abused you, neglected you, or whatever. You elect me as your president, and boy, I'll come to your aid, and you know, and, and, and I'll make all, all, of this, all of this go away. So remember, the Romans look at him as though he is a terrorist. Guilty of insurrection against the Roman government. But there is the strong possibility, and I think the great likelihood in this case, that among the Jews, this guy is considered a hero. Because if you read all of the accounts, you see that they were actually given their choice as to who to be released on that day. And it was not Pilate that said, hey, I'll let this guy go. It was the Jews that said that we want Barabbas. Let him go. Why? Well, I think they looked at him as a somewhat of a hero. He's a man that represented a political revolution. Jesus represented spiritual regeneration. And here we see them revealing what they valued the most. Barnabas is the crowd favorite. He is released, and Christ is condemned. Strange it is the kind of heroes that people pick. You know, we think about these these thieves and murderers. We think about Jesse James and Robin Hood or whoever. What some of you might not realize, if you know, were you to have lived in Chicago back in the day, you would have discovered that Al Capone and some of those other criminals back there, you know, riding the streets with their Chicago typewriters mowing people down, there were people that idolized them as heroes. So I don't find it any stretch of the imagination whatsoever to Picture Barabbas as a hero in their sight. This guy, hey, he's willing to take on the Roman government. He'll get us out from under the iron heel of the Roman government and we can be free. Let him go. 
Now, Pilate knows all of this, and you can see the pressure that's on Pilate now. Wait a minute. They want him. They want me to let him go. He's a threat, a danger to our nation. And then we see scene three, the condemnation of Jesus. Because Pilate is on the horns of a dilemma. Then he says, well, uh, all right, you want him. What shall I do then with this man which is called Jesus? Well, what am I going to do with him? You, You see, someone had to die, and the death of one meant freedom for the other. Barabbas was released and Jesus was condemned. Well, the picture ought to be ever so clear that Barabbas is a type of the redeemed sinner. Let me put it another way. I am Barabbas. So are you. So are you. Barabbas was declared guilty, and he was. So are you. Barabbas desired to be released, and those of you that have been redeemed, no doubt that was a great desire of your heart. Barabbas discovered redemption, and so did you. He didn't do anything to deserve it, and neither do you. Barabbas did not decline the offer. What if he had said no? I mean, how insane would that have been? For them to come in and say, it has been decided that you're going to be released. You can have your freedom. And for him to say, you know, I, I've kind of gotten used to this jail cell. I think I'll stay here. I actually listened the other day. True story. Real that some people choose to go back to prison because they can get drugs cheaper there than on the street. That's the condition some prisons are in nowadays. And they literally testified, yes, I I did what I did because I knew I'd go back to prison. I don't have any problem getting drugs there. It's out on the streets where I have my problems. How could you prefer a prison to your freedom? Well, to me, it would have been insane for Barabbas to say, I I think I'll just stay here. And the Jews insisted that he be released. And in preferring Barabbas to Christ, we find the sin of every single person that is in hell. And yet that is exactly what multitudes continue to do today. How insane it is that we choose something over the Lord Jesus Christ. The question then and the question now is what will you do with Jesus? You could say this was election day. And notice there's only two names on the ballot. There's Christ and there's the criminal. And so how will you vote? I just almost got to believe that after this was all over that Barnabas must have been the happiest man at Calvary. I mean, how could he not be thrilled at the thought of gaining his freedom? 
Imagine what it would have been like. Think about being there in his place, there in that prison, awaiting execution. All of the city is in an uproar. He can no doubt hear all of the, all, all of the shouts out in the street. He knows there's going to be a crucifixion. He has every reason to think it's going, it's going to be mine. He has violated the law of the land. He has offended the most powerful nation on the earth. And as far as Pilate is concerned, he's no better than the dog. He cares nothing about Barabbas whatsoever. In his mind, there appears to be no power on the earth that can set him free. And I've got to believe that all of his life flashes before his eyes as he thinks back over the years And fear grips his heart. And then he hears the footsteps. He's heard the word crucifixion being screamed out in the street. He hears the footsteps of the guards as they enter in. And he's thinking, no doubt, as his heart is racing, there is sweat on his brow. And he hears the voice of the guard saying, Barabbas, come forth. Now his pulse is pounding, his hands are trembling, and he's thinking, this is it. They've come for me. He's thinking to himself, I've been dreading this moment since I've been in this place. And soon I shall be nailed to a cross. You see, he has seen crucifixions before. He knows what to expect. But he didn't expect what came next. Barabbas, come forth. And then he hears the guard tell him, all charges against you have been dropped. You can go free. You're a free man. Can you imagine the wave of emotion that must have come over him at that moment? I mean, how would you describe it? The fact of the matter is you can't describe it because it is indescribable. All of a sudden, the fear disappears. All of a sudden, peace begins to pour into your heart. All of a sudden, joy springs up in your soul. All of a sudden, hope arises. And life takes on an entirely new meaning than ever before. And your heart is filled with gratitude. And you can't explain it. You just have to experience it. And I have, have you? Every Christian has experienced what I'm talking about. That moment when you realize that not because of anything you've ever done, but all because of what Jesus did, that you are free. That's why Peter said, For Christ also died for sins, the just for the unjust that He might bring us to God. Now think about it. Barnabas could not erase his past. What is done is done. You, You can't go back and change that. 
I've thought to myself, no telling how many hundreds of times back before I was saved, I thought, oh, if I could only undo this, if I could just erase my past, if I could start all over. But without Christ, I would have just made the same mistakes over again. You see, he couldn't erase the past. He couldn't excuse the wrongs he's done. Nobody forced him at gunpoint. These are decisions that he had made to be a robber and a murderer and a rebel against the government. So there's no excuse and there's no escape. Remember, the authority that holds him is the Roman government. There's no way out. He's no match for those guards. There's no way out whatsoever. He can't escape. He can't earn his way out by being a model prisoner. You know, he might have said, you know, uh, put me on janitorial duty or something. I'll work my way out of here. There's no working your way out of there. Not not whenever you've committed insurrection against the Roman government, you're not going to turn around and say, well, I know I've done wrong, but I'm going to start doing a lot of good deeds and I'm going to eventually earn my way out of here. Oh, no, it doesn't work that way. And it doesn't work that way with you and God either. There's no way that you can make up for all of the wrongs by trying to do those things that are right. No, the song had it exactly right. I should have been crucified. That's the story of Barnabas. He should have been crucified, but Jesus, God's Son, took His place. Over the years, over and over and over again, all across the country, I've told this story. and The story of the man who whose job it was to, to operate a, uh, a, a big lift gate, a uh, drawbridge. I think the story goes uh, on the Mississippi River, and, uh, or at least a tributary of it. It's his job to open that drawbridge. It was a train, it was a train track on it, and that way, if the train was coming, he had to lower the boat coming, he had to raise it, had to operate on a schedule. He decides one day, you know, like maybe any daddy would, to take his little boy to work with him, which he did, going to show the little boy what daddy does. All of a sudden, his little boy was playing around. He realized it was almost time for the 3 o'clock train from Memphis. And that bridge had to be lowered or it would mean that hundreds of people would plunge to their death. And he looked around for the little boy and was a trap door and the little boy had fallen through the trap door and was caught in the gigantic gears of all of that machinery that lowered and raised that drawbridge. That man was faced with the dilemma, what do I do? I my my boy, my own flesh and blood, the one that I love above everybody else is is there hung up in those gears, and yet 
I've got to act now. And with tears in his eyes, he pulled the lever and he lowered the drawbridge and the train goes right on by, not knowing, none of the passengers knowing the sacrifice that was just made back there in the control room that saved their lives. But it cost that man the life of his dear son that was crushed in those gears. Let me tell you, folks, listen, as as touching as that story is, it doesn't even begin to measure up to the sacrifice that Jesus made on the cross when he died for us. To think about the fact that He would love us and that while we were yet sinners, that Christ would die for us. It doesn't say when we got better, whenever we earned our way. It says while we were yet sinners, Christ died for us, for those that are ungodly. How dare we reject an offer like that? How insane for Barabbas to say, no, I'm comfortable here to myself. I'm going to stay here. I've just grown accustomed to being with all of my friends and my cellmates. I'm going to stay here. No, he was wise enough to get up and get going, and to get out of there while he could. Now, let me wrap this up because some of you may be thinking that, well, you know, all of this is well and good, but... but you know, but it's a message for unsaved people. And, you know, after all, we probably don't have very many of those here. Well, if we've got even one here, wouldn't that be important enough? Huh? But the fact of the matter is, when we think about the sinner's substitute, this is something that, that all of us, Christians as well, all of us need to reflect upon. How do we, how should we respond to so great a salvation? Well, we ought to be thankful, amen? How can we not be thankful considering all that God has done for us? We ought to be thankful. We ought to be thrilled for another thing. I've often said when I walked out of the Community Baptist Church there in Wilder, Missouri, the day that I trusted Christ as my Savior, it seemed like all of the little birdies were singing Amazing Grace. It seemed like a thousand pounds had been lifted off of my shoulders and I had a peace and a joy that I'd never experienced in all of my life. And I can tell you to this day, there's absolutely nothing like it. The thrill of knowing that all of your sins have been forgiven that God has accepted you. We ought to be thrilled. We ought to be testifying. I remember I couldn't wait to tell my daddy because I knew my daddy didn't know the Lord and, and, and I couldn't wait to tell daddy that I'd become a Christian. We need to be true to the Lord because of what he did for us and trusting him, listen, for everything. We live, in a, we live in a time where people are gripped with fear. All of the preppers are getting ready. They're digging bunkers. They're digging in. They're stockpiling ammo and food and everything. Why? Because people are afraid. In some way or another, in all of this, we have uh, it seemingly reached the point that we doubt whether God 
can really take care of us or not? Romans 8.32. You need, if you're not familiar with it, you need to think long about it. It says, He that spared not his own son, but delivered him up for us, how shall he not with him also freely give us all things? Wow, hang on to that. In other words, if I can trust God to save my soul, I can trust God to get me through anything else. Barnabas might have sat there day and night thinking, oh, there's no way out of this place. No way out. I can't overcome those guards. It wouldn't do any good. I wouldn't get very far. And I want to tell you, folks, I can remember being in that place, thinking to myself, there's no way out. There's no way. People sometimes wonder, well, why do people commit suicide? You mean you wonder about that? Is that, is that a surprise? Why would that shock you? I understand why they do. When you reach that place of desperation that you think there's no way out whatsoever, that you are trapped in what you are, and it's an ugly picture. And I stood there and looked at my reflection in the mirror thinking, Oh, dear Lord, what have I done? Why do I do this? And I didn't know of any way out until somebody told me about Jesus. <laughs> and he led me like a little old lady and all of her youngins during the camp meeting down in the hills. We'd have those tent revivals and Myrtle, Myrtle and all of her kids would sing. And they had a song they used to sing. It's called, He Led Me Out of the Wilderness. And I'll never forget what they would do. They would start marching in. I just had 40, 11 kids, I'm telling you. And these little old kids, here come a little old kid, and he's talking about uh, he's delivered me out of the wilderness, and here come another one and another one. And another. Boy, by the time they all got there, and it was a full course, everybody was bawling their eyes out. Because if you've ever been delivered out of the wilderness, I'm telling you, when, when you know you've been set free, it makes a difference in every area of your life. If you're here today and you're a Christian, don't you dare leave saying, well, boy, that was sure a message that the, that the sinners need. No, it's a message you and I need. And if you're here and you've never trusted Christ as your Savior, please don't make the insane mistake of putting it off. That makes you just as guilty as those Jews who cried, crucify him. His blood is on your hands. Let's all stand together. Father, how we thank you for the glorious truths of your word. How we thank you, Lord, for using simple stories like this to teach us about serious subjects such as the substitutionary death of the Lord Jesus Christ. How we thank you today for the sacrifice that was made, realizing that, that we don't deserve anything. It's as though you've given us everything in Christ. And now we've become joint heirs. And Heavenly Father, today I pray that, 
that we'll be so changed, so different, so transformed that others can see him in us. And Lord, for that man or woman, some boy or girl that's here this morning, they've never trusted Christ as their Savior. We talk about peace and joy and happiness and all of these other things, and and they've never experienced any of that. Lord, help them today to just forget all of the religious stuff they've ever heard, all of the stuff that's not been working for them. And may they just come, as it were, in their naked selves, just as they are before you, trusting your dear Son as their Lord and Savior. For we beg it in Jesus' precious name.